Today, the theme set before us is the theme of hospitality. The Old Testament reading appointed for this day is from Proverbs chapter 25. Solomon says, It is the glory of God to conceal things, but the glory of kings is to search things out. As for the heavens for height and the earth for depth, so the heart of kings is unsearchable. Take away the dross from the silver, and the smith has material for a vessel. Take away the wicked from the presence of the king, and his throne will be established in righteousness. Do not put yourself forward in the king's presence, or stand in the place of the great. For it is better to be told, come up here, than to be put lower in the presence of a noble. What your eyes have seen, do not hastily bring into court. For what will you do in the end when your neighbor puts you to shame? Argue your case with your neighbor himself. And do not reveal another's secret. Lest he who hears you bring you, bring shame upon you. And your ill repute have no end. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The point, the first point I'd like to make this morning is this. Hospitality begins with humility. Hospitality begins with humility. For those who are proud and arrogant, for those who are puffed up, for those who in their hearts believe that they are superior in many ways to others, they're going to be bad. When we think that way, we're bad at hospitality. Sure, we might throw a great, lavish party, but in the end, it's all self-centered. In our gospel today, Jesus will describe uh, men of this sort uh, in his day, men who threw parties for their friends, their neighbors, and they fully expected that someday they would be invited to their house in return. This is not biblical hospitality. Biblical hospitality begins with Humility. As Paul says in Philippians chapter 2, do nothing out of rivalry or conceit, but in humility consider others as more significant than yourself. And hospitality, which begins with humility, begins for us Christians with the confession of sins. This past week, I attended... Uh, I went to Camp Luther for a gathering of new church workers in the North Wisconsin district of the Missouri Synod. And there was about 13 pastors and vicars. We gathered there with the president, President Lewick, uh, and his staff, and they talked to us about uh, the challenges that they face, and they gave us some very helpful tools uh, for the years ahead in ministry. One of the, I think, the, the most the greatest nugget of wisdom that they gave us had to do with uh, congregations they serve in conflict. And they bring in an organization called Ambassadors of Reconciliation. And they're Lutheran Christians uh, trained to come in to congregations where there's open conflict between a pastor and a congregation or between cliques within a congregation, conflict about money, conflict about who's in charge, and where there seems to be no human resolution. 
The ambassadors of reconciliation have told the district that there's two things that set apart in their experience uh, healthy congregations and conflicted congregations. Two things separate healthy congregations from conflicted congregations. And those two things are this. First, a healthy congregation is regularly involved, regularly engaged in God's word. Not just the pastor, but it starts with the pastor and his own personal devotions and prayers, but also the congregational leaders, Sunday school teachers, the families. It means uh, we go home with the portals of prayer. It means we're opening up our Bible during the week. It means we're praying. A healthy congregation is regularly engaged in God's word. And number two, reconciliation is modeled. Confession and forgiveness is modeled by the leaders of the church. Again, it starts with the pastor. Does the pastor say, I'm sorry when there's a mistake? Is the congregation able to put that behind them? Have uh, congregational leaders been raised up to say, I'm sorry, you're forgiven? and to move on rather than holding grudges. Two things separate these two different congregations, the healthy church and the conflicted church, God's word and regular practice of confession and forgiveness. It seems so simple, and yet it's very difficult for the flesh. This is a profound point. And it is a place where God's word lead us to, leads us today because biblical hospitality begins with humility. The epistle begins with a Greek word that we're, I think most of us, we're all familiar with. It begins with the word Philadelphia, which means brotherly love. And of course, there's a city named Philadelphia, but here uh, <clears throat> Hebrews is using it to describe the relationship of the members of a church. Uh, he's saying that as members of this church, we love one another as if, no, we are family. The epistles from Hebrews 13. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled, for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from love of money, and be content with what you have, for he has said, I will never leave you, nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings. For it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods, which have not benefited those devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent, describing those who still worship according to the Old Testament rules, 
They have no right to eat from the tent of the church. For the body of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin, they are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hospitality begins with humility, and hospitality is worship. Now, when I'm talking about hospitality, I'm talking in the broadest possible sense. Not just having people over to your home, but uh, interacting with all people and other people. It can be visiting other people in their home. It can be suffering with the afflicted, as Hebrews says, thinking about and praying for those who are in prison. It means sharing our blessings. Because in giving away that which God has given to us, we make a dim reflection of the great sacrifice God made by sending Jesus. We practice hospitality by listening to others who need to get things off their chest. We practice hospitality as a congregation when we invite newcomers into our midst and we help them understand what we're about and we show them our service and we show them that they are welcomed and loved by God and in this congregation. Hospitality is worship and all of life is worship. It's just as Paul says in Romans chapter 12, present your bodies as a living sacrifice holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Hospitality is worship. But if all of life is worship, if I'm called to worship God when I'm at home, when I'm at work, when I'm driving to work, when I'm out in the community, and that's what I'm saying, all of it is worship, then why do we come here? Why do we take an hour out of our week to come to church and sit in these pews and to listen? Well, there's something very special about this worship. This worship that we have in God's house, where we gather together as a Christian family, this is where God practices his hospitality. It is here in church that God comes and serves his people. In God's house, God is the host, and we are his guests. The Lutheran confessions say that this is the one thing that sinners get confused most easily. 
We want to uh, confuse what God does for us and what we do in response for God. And we want to change the order. But the Lutheran confessions and the scripture says, no, what God does is most important. It's not we who serve God here, but God comes to serve us. And in Lutheran worship, we call that sacramental. I didn't understand these terms till I went to seminary, but I found them helpful. Uh, the worship at church, the major portion of it is sacramental. And of course, you may be thinking about baptism and the Lord's Supper are sacraments, but I'm using sacramental in the sense that sacramental meaning the mysteries that God uses to serve his people. So not just simple water, but words and our ears. God uses simple bread and wine, a simple humble preacher to change our lives in a profound way. There's sacramental worship where God serves his people and sacrificial worship where we respond. You see, all the sacrifices required in the Old Testament, they've already been fulfilled by the sacrifice of Christ. The only response or sacrifice is that of praise and of offering and thanksgiving and prayer and service. God serves us and we respond. And one thing that I try to be very conscious of while serving in this house is trying to make this distinction of sacramental and sacrificial worship with my body language. And so sometimes I change this for the, the sake of practicality. But as a rule of thumb, uh, when I'm facing the congregation, either at the font or the altar, at the lectern or the pulpit, that type, that form of worship is sacramental. God is serving you with the word of his son. But when I'm turned in the same direction as you, facing the altar, that's a cue that that worship is sacrificial. I'm joining together with you in prayer, a prayer of confession, prayer of thanksgiving, prayer for our community. I'm joining with you in offering my life back to God. We get this distinction from Hebrews 13. Jesus suffered first outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here in this world we have no lasting city, but we seek the city that is to come. Through him then let us continue to offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. And... Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have through offerings, through Christian service. For these sacrifices that you make, according to faith, are pleasing to God. It's hospitality. The hospitality of God brings hospitality among and through the church. Because hospitality is worship. The Holy Gospel according to St. Luke, the 14th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. One Sabbath when Jesus went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were watching him carefully. And behold, there was a man before him who had dropsy. And Jesus responded to the lawyers and Pharisees saying, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? 
but they remained silent. Then Jesus took the man and healed him and sent him away. And Jesus said to them, which of you having a son or an ox that has fallen into a well on the Sabbath day will not immediately pull him out? And they could not reply to these things. Now Jesus told a parable to those who were invited. When he noticed how they chose the places of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in a place of honor, lest someone more distinguished than you be invited by him, and he who invited you both will come and say to you, give your place to this person. And then you will begin with shame to take the lowest place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place so that when your host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Then you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at table with you. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And Jesus said also to the man who had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or your rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. You will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. The final point I'd like to make this morning is this. Hospitality is risky. Hospitality is risky. Last week, I asked you to imagine that you had been invited to a wonderful celebration where it would be in a beautiful location, and you'd be seeing friends who you hadn't uh, seen for a very long time, and you knew that the food and the drink would be uh, fabulous. But this week, I ask you to imagine being invited to a party where you know that a lot of those in attendance don't like you. Imagine the place isn't so beautiful or attractive. Imagine that the food will be fair at best. Imagine that once you get there, the crowd will scrutinize your every move. They will stare you down. Would you go? Would you have a party and would you invite to your party people that you don't know? Would you invite people that smell funny or you don't know exactly what they'll say? Well, today we see that Jesus has a degree of hospitality that far exceeds anything that we could dream or imagine. Hospitality is risky. And it's precisely this point that Jesus is seeking to make when he's invited to the Pharisee's house for dinner. That crowd, they didn't like him. They were scrutinizing him. They despised him. And when he came to that dinner, they raked him over the coals. And Jesus knew they would. But why would Jesus go to such an affair? Love. Firstly, we see that Jesus loved those who were being neglected, who were being sidelined at the dinner, like the man with dropsy. That's an old word that we use 
uh, to describe swelling of fluid in the body's extremities, either the face, the arms, the legs. Dropsy indicates that there's a blockage in the veins and generally some serious heart failure. It's no fun. This man was terribly ill. Jesus went to that party to heal him and to teach. And Jesus went to convert his critics. It's so easy for us to give up on, to write off those who we find offensive, those we don't like, those who don't like us. But Jesus says to those gathered, humble yourselves. And when you have a dinner party or when you go to a dinner party, invite the poor, the maimed, the lame, the blind. And this amazes us because this is not the type of hospitality that we learn from Martha Stewart. He's talking about taking care of people that are strange, different, who need a lot of help. And when Jesus is talking this way about hospitality, he's describing himself. Jesus humbled himself. He cared for the least of his disciples. He went to the lowest of his disciples, and he went lower, and he washed their feet. Jesus lived a life of worship. He worshiped in every way wherever he went. He worshiped in the temple and in the synagogues, and in the streets, and on the seashore. And he called those who had been condemned and pushed off to the sidelines, those who were no longer invited to the heart of worship in the temple, to come to him, because he was offering up a sacrifice that was holy to God. Jesus spent his life with those who had been condemned by the world, and in their place he was condemned. Hospitality is risky. Jesus put his life on the line. And yes, he could have called down angels from heaven, but instead he chose to drink the cup of bitterness. He chose to endure the trial, the shame, the woe. Jesus chose the cross. Jesus gave his life. He risked everything so that he could win you. One uh, Lutheran commentator looking at this text described Jesus' teaching as uh, radical liberality. And these aren't, I'm not using these as political terms, but they're radical in the sense that they uproot everything that the people held dear. They had traditions for who you invite and who you don't invite, how you serve meal, who, meals, who goes to eat first, who sits at the head of the table. And Jesus said, it's all wrong. Let he who is least, let he who is last go first. But you who push your way to the front, whoever's first, whoever's puffed up and proud, before God you will be humbled. And Jesus is not only radical, but he's liberal. And he's radical and liberal with his grace. He doesn't give uh, grace out in small portions like the Pharisees did. They gave portions of grace out to those who had earned their uh, good favor. No, Jesus was absolutely liberal. He gave grace upon grace to those who didn't deserve it, even to those who condemned him. 
hospitality is risky, and Jesus' hospitality cost his life, but his resurrection justified it. His resurrection justified everything that he did, even the cross, because by doing this, by suffering, he brought you into God's family, into God's kingdom, to God's table. And now as those who have been forgiven and set free, who follow Jesus, we are called to practice the same type of hospitality. You are free. You are free to love those that the world has found unlovable. You are free to associate with those whom you know the world uh, mocks and makes fun of. You are free to care for those who will never be able to repay you. Because Jesus says you have a great reward in heaven. What is that reward in heaven? Well, it's not worldly riches, but it's people. It's a place. It's a place with God. It's communion. And the people that you will be with God with, it's the people gathered here, your brothers and sisters. It's those whom you care for, the poor, the maimed, the crippled, the blind. And that's, in fact, where we get the tradition of hospitals. Hospitality uh, calls Christians to serve. And preparing for this sermon, I discovered that the Christians, uh, during the generation where Christianity was finally legalized in the fourth century, when the Christians came out of their catacombs, uh, they, were, they took these texts so importantly, uh, so seriously, that wherever they built a church, any city where they built a cathedral, that means where they had baptism, the regular Lord's Supper, a pastor who was administrating for smaller congregations, every city where there was a church, they also built a hospital because they believed that they were called by their Savior uh, to care for the poor, the maimed, the crippled, the blind, for sinners, because Jesus had cared for them. So therefore, following Jesus, let us humble ourselves, let us worship and adore him, and let us risk everything so that God's hospitality would be revealed to the world through us. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will keep your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. We continue with the offering.